Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there, it's Adam here. Welcome to Sound Sleep. Have you checked out the Sound Sleep premium feed yet? Allow me to tell you about it. Each episode is ad-free and is released a couple days early. Each month, you will hear two bonus episodes only available in the premium feed. And for less than $1 a week, you can get all that plus you get to support this podcast. So, you can either subscribe and listen directly in Apple Podcasts, or if you listen with another app, then you can subscribe with Supercast, which is super simple, because with just two taps, you can be listening in your favorite podcast player. Head to soundsleeppodcast.com or look in the show notes for more information. And thanks so much for the support. I really hope you enjoy this next story. If you have any feedback, let me know with a review and a rating. Or send me a message on Instagram or in the Facebook group. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Looking for even more stories to listen to and fall asleep with? Check out one of my favorites, Dreamful. Jordan has an amazing selection of the best stories and perfectly pairs them with music that she personally selects. You'll be snoozing in no time to pride and prejudice. The wonderful Wizard of Oz. Or you could easily get hooked on her 12-part Constellation series. Check out Dreamful wherever you listen to podcasts.
close your eyes and take a deep breath in, filling your lungs with air. As you exhale, release any tension or stress in your body. Take another deep breath in. As you exhale, visualize a bright blue sky above you. The sky is vast and endless, and the clouds are floating effortlessly through it. As you continue to breathe deeply, focus on the clouds above you. Notice their different shapes and sizes, and the way they seem to dance and change as they move through the sky. They are a reminder of the impermanence of all things and the constant flow of life. As you continue to watch the clouds, imagine that you can feel their peaceful energy washing over you. Allow yourself to be present in this moment, fully immersed in the beauty of the sky. Feel your body becoming heavier and more relaxed. As we begin our story, continue with a few more deep breaths, preparing your mind and body to be ready for a peaceful and sound sleep. Beyond the Wall of Sleep, Part 2 From the manner in which Slater alluded to their dealings, I judged that he and the luminous thing had met on equal terms. That in his dream existence, the man was himself a luminous thing of the same race as his enemy. This impression was sustained by his frequent references to flying through space and burning all that impeded his progress. Yet these conceptions were formulated in rustic words, wholly inadequate to convey them, a circumstance which drove me to the conclusion that if a true dream world indeed existed, oral language was not its medium for the transmission of thought. Could it be that the dream soul inhabiting this inferior body was desperately struggling to speak things which the simple and halting tongue of dullness could not utter? Could it be that I was face to face with intellectual emanations which would explain the mystery? 
if I could but learn to discover and read them. I did not tell the older physicians of these things, for middle age is skeptical, cynical, and disinclined to accept new ideas. Besides, the head of the institution had but lately warned me in his paternal way that I was overworking, that my mind needed a rest. It had long been my belief that human thought consists basically of atomic or molecular motion, convertible into either waves of radiant energy like heat, light, and electricity. This belief had early led me to contemplate the possibility of telepathy or mental communication by means of suitable apparatus. And I had, in my college days, prepared a set of transmitting and receiving instruments somewhat similar to the devices employed in wireless telegraphy at that crude pre-radio period. These I had tested with a fellow student, but achieving no result, had soon packed them away with other scientific odds and ends for possible future use. Now, in my intense desire to probe into the dream life of Joe Slater, I sought these instruments again and spent several days in repairing them for action. When they were complete once more, I missed no opportunity for their trial. At each outburst of Slater's violence, I would fit the transmitter to his forehead and the receiver to my own, constantly making delicate adjustments for various hypothetical wavelengths of intellectual energy. I had but little notion of how the thought impressions would, if successfully conveyed, arouse an intelligent response in my brain. But I felt certain that I could detect and interpret them. Accordingly, I continued my experiments, though informing no one of their nature. It was on the 21st day of February, 1901, that the thing finally occurred. As I look back across the years, I realize how unreal it seems, and sometimes half wonder if old Dr. Fenton was not right when he charged it all to my excited imagination. I recall that he listened with great kindness and patience when I told him, but afterward gave me a nerve powder and arranged for the half year's vacation on which I departed the next week. That fateful night, I was wildly agitated and perturbed, for despite the excellent care he had received, Joe Slater was unmistakably dying. Perhaps it was his mountain freedom that he missed, or perhaps the turmoil in his brain had grown too acute for his rather sluggish physique. But at all events, the flame of vitality flickered low in the decadent body. He was drowsy near the end, and as darkness fell, 
he dropped off into a troubled sleep. I did not strap on the straitjacket, as was customary when he slept. Since I saw that he was too feeble to be dangerous. Even if he woke in mental disorder once more before passing away. But I did place upon his head and mine the two ends of my cosmic radio, hoping against hope for a first and last message from the dream world in the brief time remaining. In the cell with us was one nurse, a mediocre fellow who did not understand the purpose of the apparatus or think to inquire into my course. As the hours wore on, I saw his head droop awkwardly in sleep, but I did not disturb him. I myself, lulled by the rhythmical breathing of the healthy and dying man, must have nodded a little later. The sound of the weird lyric melody was what aroused me. Chords, vibrations, and harmonic ecstasies echoed passionately on every hand, while on my ravished sight burst the stupendous spectacle of ultimate beauty. Walls, columns, and architraves of living fire blazed around the spot where I seemed to float in air, extending upward to an infinitely high vaulted dome of indescribable splendor, blending with this display of palatial magnificence, or rather, supplanting it at times in kaleidoscopic rotation glimpses of wide plains and graceful valleys, high mountains and inviting grottoes, covered with every lovely attribute of scenery, which my delighted eye could conceive of, yet formed wholly of some glowing, ethereal, plastic entity, which in consistency partook as much of spirit as of matter. As I gazed, I perceived that my own brain held the key to these enchanting metamorphoses. For each vista which appeared to me was the one my changing mind most wished to behold. Amidst this Elysian realm, I dwelt not as a stranger. For each sight and sound was familiar to me, just as it had been for uncounted eons of eternity before, and would be for like eternities to come. Then, the resplendent aura of my brother of light drew near, and held a moment with me, soul to soul, with a silent and perfect interchange of thought. The hour was one of approaching triumph for was not my fellow being escaping at last from a degrading, periodic bondage, escaping forever, and preparing to follow the accursed oppressor even unto the uttermost fields of ether, that upon it might be wrought a flaming cosmic vengeance 
which would shake the spheres. We floated thus for a little time, when I perceived a slight blurring and fading of the objects around us, as though some force were recalling me to earth, where I least wished to go. The form near me seemed to feel a change also, for it gradually brought its discourse toward a conclusion, and itself prepared to quit the scene, fading from my sight at a rate somewhat less rapid than that of the other objects. A few more thoughts were exchanged, and I knew that the luminous one and I were being recalled to bondage. Though for my brother of light, it would be the last time. The sorry planet shell being well nigh spent. In less than an hour, my fellow would be free to pursue the oppressor along the Milky Way and past the hither stars to the very confines of infinity. A well-defined shock separates my final impression of the fading scene of light from my sudden and somewhat shamefaced awakening, and straightening up in my chair as I saw the dying figure on the couch move hesitantly. Joe Slater was indeed awaking, though probably for the last time. As I looked more closely, I saw that in the sallow cheeks shone spots of color which had never before been present. The lips, too, seemed unusual, being tightly compressed, as if by the force of a stronger character than had been Slater's. The whole face finally began to grow tense, and the head turned restlessly with closed eyes. Did not arouse the sleeping nurse, but readjusted the slightly disarranged headbands of my telepathic radio, intent to catch any parting message the dreamer might have to deliver. All at once, the head turned sharply in my direction, and the eyes fell open, causing me to stare in blank amazement at what I beheld. The man who had been Joe Slater, the Catskill decadent, was now gazing at me with a pair of luminous, expanded eyes, whose blue seemed subtly to have deepened. Neither mania nor degeneracy was visible in that gaze, and I felt, beyond a doubt, that I was viewing a face behind which lay an active mind of high order. At this juncture, my brain became aware of a steady external influence operating upon it. I closed my eyes to concentrate my thoughts more profoundly and was rewarded by a positive knowledge that my long-sought mental message had come at last. Each transmitted idea formed rapidly in my mind, and though no actual language was employed, my habitual association of conception and expression was so great 
that I seemed to be receiving the message in ordinary English. Joe Slater is dead, came the sole petrifying voice or agency from beyond the wall of sleep. My opened eyes sought the couch of pain in curious horror, but the blue eyes were still calmly gazing and the countenance was still intelligently animated. He is better dead, for he was unfit to bear the active intellect of cosmic entity. His gross body could not undergo the needed adjustments between ethereal life and planet life. He was too much of an animal, too little a man. Yet it is through his deficiency that you have come to discover me. For the cosmic and planet souls rightly should never meet. He has been my torment for 42 of your terrestrial years. I am an entity like that which you yourself become in the freedom of dreamless sleep. I am your brother of light and have floated with you in the vast valleys. It is not permitted me to tell your waking earth self of your real self, but we are all roamers of vast spaces and travelers in many ages. Next year, I may be dwelling in the dark Egypt, which you call ancient, or in the cruel empire of the San Shan, which has come 3,000 years hence. You and I have drifted to the worlds that reel about the red Arcturus, and dwelt in the bodies of the insect philosophers that crawl proudly over the fourth moon of Jupiter. How little does the earth self know of life and its extent? How little indeed ought it to know for its own tranquility? Of the oppressor I cannot speak. You on earth have unwittingly felt its distant presence. You who without knowingly idly gave to its blinking beacon the name of Algol, the Demon Star. It is to meet and conquer the oppressor that I have vainly striven for eons held back by bodily encumbrances. Tonight I go as a nemesis bearing just and blazingly cataclysmic vengeance. Watch me in the sky close by the demon star. I cannot speak longer, for the body of Joe Slater grows cold and rigid, and the coarse brains are ceasing to vibrate as I wish. You have been my friend in the cosmos. You have been my only friend on this planet, the only soul to sense and seek for me within the repellent form which lies on this couch. We shall meet again, perhaps 
steps in the shining mists of Orion's sword. Perhaps on a bleak plateau in prehistoric Asia. Perhaps in unremembered dreams tonight. Perhaps in some other form, an eon hence, when the solar system shall have been swept away. At this point, the thought waves abruptly ceased, and the pale eyes of the dreamer, or can I say, dead man, commenced to glaze fishly. In a half stupor, I crossed over to the couch and felt of his wrist, but found it cold, stiff, and pulseless. The sallow cheeks paled again, and the thick lips fell open, disclosing the repulsively rotten fangs of the degenerate Joe Slater. I shivered, pulled a blanket over the hideous face, and awakened the nurse. Then I left the cell and went silently to my room. I had an insistent and unaccountable craving for a sleep whose dreams I should not remember. The climax. What plain tale of science can boast of such a rhetorical effect? I have merely set down certain things appealing to me as facts, allowing you to construe them as you will. As I have already admitted, my superior, old Dr. Fenton, denies the reality of everything I have related. He vows that I was broken down with nervous strain and badly in need of the long vacation on full pay, which he so generously gave me. He assures me on his professional honor that Joe Slater was but a low-grade paranoiac whose fantastic notions must have come from the crude hereditary folk tales which circulate in even the most decadent of communities. All this he tells me, yet I cannot forget what I saw in the sky on the night after Slater died. Lest you think me a biased witness, another's pen must add this final testimony, which may perhaps supply the climax you expect. I will quote the following account of the star Nova Persei verbatim from the pages of that eminent astronomical authority, Professor Garrett P. Service. On February 22, 1901, a marvelous new star was discovered by Dr. Anderson of Edinburgh, not very far from Algol. No star had been visible at that point before. Within 24 hours, the stranger had become so bright that it outshone Capella. In a week or two, it had visibly faded. And in the course of a few months, it was hardly discernible with the naked eye. 